Welcome to Creative Blessings, episode number three. Today we're going to explore the Infinity War. The new movie came out in the Avengers lineup. Together, uh, Father Nico and I will discuss aspects of the movie as it relates to our daily lives and our, our Orthodox faith. So, Father, welcome back. Nice to be back, Chris. Thanks again for doing this. Oh, thank you for uh, hopping on board on the uh, Creative Blessings train. <laughs> so, um, well, we both saw it, and we both were pretty wowed by it. Um, I I'm going to let you take a little bit of lead here, since you uh, were uh, kind enough to suggest this topic, and, 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 we'll, and we'll take it from there. I think this is a topic that any any geek is suggesting nowadays for any site. I would I would think. Um, so as everybody knows, the movie uh, is the nineteenth movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe lineup. So since Marvel Studios was created in the late two thousands, they have now put out nineteen movies, and all of them have been building to this one. So um, the first movie was Iron Man, which came out in two thousand eight. And the latest movie is Avengers Infinity War, which is the third Avengers movie. And it came out in 2018. So this is the 10th anniversary celebration as well. Um, there was a lot of hype surrounding this movie. It features every single major character um, that has headlined any of these movies, except for one, but he's mentioned in there, uh, Ant-Man. But he's going to be in the next one, they say. Uh, but I digress. Um so there was a ton of characters. I mean, you know, something like 35 or so main characters that have, um, you know, dialogue and, and are part of the story. And, you know, it was released last Friday um, to tremendous, tremendous accolades. Uh, the critics loved it, um, and it smashed all kinds of box office records already. I want to say it made the... It's the largest opening weekend of any movie ever in history. That is correct. Uh, that that includes that includes worldwide and in America. Um, it beat Star Wars: The Force Awakens. So I think the early I think the early numbers beyond six hundred thirty million weren't even including the world numbers. It was just the U.S. numbers, and that was almost a billion, <laughs> just you know three quarters of the way to a billion dollars. Yeah, uh, domestically. I don't know. I, I, I think it I think it was worldwide. I thought I want to say the domestic total was like two fifty or something, which is still a record. Um, but and it hasn't even been released in China yet, apparently, which is going to be in uh, May. I think May eleventh, and that is also a huge market. So, regardless of how you slice it, um, it's. I mean, Disney is. Um, uh, I heard someone refer to it as a dollar printing machine right now. So it. <laughs> It's making it's making a ton of money, but you know what? At the same time, with these movies, at least with the Marvel movies, I think they're doing a great job, and everybody's happy. So, um, you you took Dean to go see it? Yeah, uh, we went as a family. My my wife, Dean, and um, my brother and his wife and his one daughter. We were in a different parts of the theater because I don't know if out there on the West Coast you can book your seats and uh, reserve seats. They have recliners, so you're kind of uh, you know, booking where you want to sit. So we had to split up a bit because uh, we wanted to get in there as soon as possible. I know Dean was, you know, Dean's a super, big super, I'm sorry, Spider-Man fan. And, uh, you know, he saw him in the as the Iron Spider. He was, uh, as a six-year-old, you know, just so excited about that. Um, 
so yeah, we really enjoyed it. Uh, my wife has been indoctrinated into the the uh, Kasakis <laughs> geekdom, so to speak. But she really enjoys the Marvel movies. And, um, you know, it's funny because you were saying a Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I've been having to explain to Dean that we are, you know, basically looking at a certain amount of movies. They say, well, what about the X-Men? What about Spider-Man? What about, um, you know... Uh, uh, you know, the the Fantastic Four, and I have to explain that they're owned by different companies, and eventually maybe they'll come into the main cinematic universe, but at this point I think, uh, you know, we are, you know, pretty well into it, and I, I'm curious to see where they're going to uh, take us into the next Avengers movie, because, uh, boy, did they leave leave some cliffhangers for everybody. That's for sure. And uh, well, you, you you give me give me some thought on what you felt about the the character, the main character that you know. Well, so um, yeah, so you mentioned that you went and saw it. I'm sure that Dean had a great time. Um, I saw it on Thursday night, um, the night before it technically opened, uh, with a couple of friends from the parish, and it was just really really fun. Um, the whole theater was into it. It was great. So. I enjoyed the movie as a fan a great deal, and I will say, I think, uh, I talked about this a little bit on my blog, um, I don't remember a movie that has ever lived up to the hype that has been th that has been hyped this much, you know? It seems like every Star Wars movie um, is hyped, but it's, for me anyway, it's a little bit of a letdown, you know, at least the sequels and stuff. Um, this one lived up to the hype, and it was just really, really fantastic. I think one of the reasons that it was so fantastic is because the villain was so compelling. Um, the main bad guy, Thanos, um, you described as the main character of the movie, and in many ways he is. I mean, just as much as anybody else. There's so many. But, you know, one of the knocks on Justice League was that the main villain was was boring. I mean, he was not – he didn't have any kind of motivation. Um, because I'm going to try to make this episode, we are going to try to make this episode as spoiler-free as possible. I won't go too in-depth um, into you know, how um, compelling he was and what he did, but just suffice to say that um, they, they took a different approach with this story than what is in the comic books. And the comic books, I think he's a great villain too. Um, he has a very compelling story then as well. Um, in this... Um, they, you know, the, the, the movie was about this, this character named Thanos who wants to eliminate half of the, half of all life in the universe for the sake of what he thinks are dwindling resources. So, you know, he seems to think that the universe is getting smaller and there's not enough space for everybody. Um, and, um, you know, his quest is to kind of eliminate everybody with this, with this amazing, um, Oh, my phone's ringing. <laughs> we'll edit that one out later. That's going to be calling. <laughs> um, anyway, so, I mean, it, you know, in all the movies, they've been talking about the Infinity Stones and, and why each one is so powerful and everything. And um, in this one, you know, it's about how all those stones are used, you know, as a weapon. In any case, it's just a, there's a lot to explain there. But his motivation is, is amazing because... Um, Thanos is very close to one of the characters who's in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, the character's name is Gamora. 
Um, she was uh, his adopted daughter, so she's she's very close to him, and um, she's um, yeah, she's. Uh, um, I'm trying. I'm trying to tiptoe around this without giving anything anything away. <laughs> I probably should have thought this out a little bit, um, but no. I think that um, you know, she. Let's just put it this way: she's very precious to him, and so, given the fact, and that was established in Guardians of the Galaxy, by the way, that uh, that she was um, Thanos's you know daughter, and in this movie, it definitely plays on that. Well, there's one scene in the movie where Thanos is trying to take control of one of the Infinity Stones. And he kind of gets transported, he and Gamora and a few others get transported to this um, realm, which is really interesting. And it's not in the it's not in the comic books exactly in this way, um, but it made it made, I think, the story so much more interesting by doing it this way. And that's saying a lot. I mean, coming from me, because I'm kind of a purist when it comes to the adaptations of the, of the comic book stories. So they go to this realm um, that's within the stone, I believe. And they are both, you know, kind of being spoken to by, you know, the universe or however, whatever you want to call it. And the universe is basically telling Thanos, if you want the power of this stone, you have to sacrifice that which is most precious to you. And how that plays out, again, without giving anything away, how that plays out within the stone, I think was the heart of this movie. And I think that it provided something a little more than just action. Although for a movie like this, I'm totally fine. Even if it was, I would have been fine if it was action just start to finish. But this is, this is kind of what gave the movie a little bit of substance and a little bit of a few more layers, if you will. I don't know if you felt the same way, um, but I thought it was a great little left turn at that point. Um, you know, where they, where they explain this about his, uh, his motivation. I think so, and I think they actually delve into how you see a villain has vulnerability as well, and where his motivations are actually um, uh, showing that for what he wants to achieve, he has to give um, probably the greatest sacrifice of of his personal feelings and personal life, and the, you know, is it worth it? Um, and I guess you know, without going further into it we can say that uh, the relationship between him and the, the adopted daughter, I think is interest, uh, it was poignant to the point where, um, you know, he walked away from that moment forever changed. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give anything away too much, but, um, you know, we see that the feeling of the of the father to the daughter and the daughter to the father is one of regret, so to speak, and it's, it's a regret that will change their lives indelibly forever. And your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think you've captured it perfectly. So my question to you at this time is: I think you mentioned that you know this is the ultimate sacrifice for him, and it's something that obviously he has to decide. Uh, if he wants to do, and something that he has to decide um, what means most to him. And so this got me thinking a little bit, if you look at it as kind of a sermon, if I could, you know, turn this message into a positive one. Um, let me just ask, before we go any further, Chris, what would you say is the most important thing 
in your life to you. The most important thing may be that um, if you did have to sacrifice, um, you know, would just would 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 probably be the biggest sacrifice for you. That would be my child as well. I would have mm. you know, great reservation. Like, if not my wife, my child. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the most important things in my life. Um, outside of that, I think anything's replaceable. Um, but not you know not not the uh, the love for your child. You know, or you I mean, you know, it's beyond. Um, something that is a tangible thing it's 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 beyond that. you know i think uh you know uh, there's people that will try to um you know justify what you know they would sacrifice in their lives and give up this or give up that but i think it's more rudimentary than that you know, it's to what you know is dear to your heart and you know focuses around love I totally agree. And you know, when, when my wife and I became parents, you know, three years ago, um, it was the first time that I'd ever realized, um, you know, when, when you hear the expression all the time before you become parents about how, uh, you, you never realize how much you could love something until you have children. And when I was younger, I would hear this and go, oh, yeah, sure. Of course. I mean, duh. I mean, you know, parents, kids, that's how it works. But I didn't obviously uh, grasp that until we became parents ourselves. And then you realize that literally it's um, the first time that you actually love something more than even yourself. You know, I hope that doesn't sound selfish or whatever. um, But the Lord did say, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. So it does presume that you do have to love yourself because God created you, too. But, you know, your 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 children, your 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 family, uh, your spouse. These things for me also would be the greatest sacrifice that I would ever even consider. And it's an incredible, incredible statement of love. I also think it takes you beyond um, the notion of your mortality. It takes you to the notion that that this child will continue on uh, either with your name or your blood. and, And your memory continues. Your soul continues here on earth. Um... I felt that immediately when the baby was born within the delivery room, I felt, okay, now the focus is not me. It's not my needs. It's this child's needs. Um, and ever since then, I mean, I said to my wife the other night, I said, it feels like, you know, he's going to be, you know, he'll be seven years old in August. And I said, I feel like we just brought him home from the delivery room. Um, I mean, it just goes by mm-hmm. so fast. But each and every day is, is something else, a new um, piece of excitement or something you're learning or seeing him with his um, exuberance um, uh, towards life and I think that you know, being an older parent not only keeps me youthful but I feel that you know when you see that kind of um, childlike view of the world um, I think we need more of that I mean I think, I think it's that simple uh, it's before I, what I would always say before people become a little tainted by the world itself. You know, we have that purity within a child. Um, no, I'll kind of leave it at that. Where I think he, uh, you know, he's the motivating factor for me always. You know, I, I always think first before I think of myself. You know, you know so maybe to a detriment sometimes. <laughs> 
I, I hear you, man. I was just feeling the same way myself. I mean, you mentioned the word exuberance. I love when I see uh, Cristo get excited about things and, you know, run around and, you know, just frolic, you know, and it's just, it just the cutest thing ever because it's so pure and innocent. And I just think it's, you know, it shows the preciousness of life and, you know, not to get too metaphysical, but absolutely correct in what you were saying. I mean, I totally agree. You know, think about beyond your own self and beyond your own mortality. So, you know, we talk about these things uh, in the church as well and, and, you know, in people's homes whenever I visit, you know, when they talk about how um, they feel about their children and their family and what's most important to them. And it's interesting because all of this, you know, the Lord goes through and went through as well. Um, as we know very well, of course, that, you know, um, God created us and the universe because he had love to share. Uh, it wasn't because he was lacking anything and needed anything, but he was he created every one of us because God, by his nature, is community. I mean, the Holy Holy Trinity is, is three and yet one. And so he wanted to continue to share that love. There was an outpouring of love that he wanted to share. And so when the Lord walked the earth after his incarnation... Now we're getting really deep into the into the Christianity message here. Um, he also um, had been asked, you know, what is most important to you, and um, what do you sacrifice? I mean, what would what would you sacrifice? Because, you know, without getting too much into the into the into the the metaphysics or the the philosophy, if you will, of the of the crucifixion, um, the point was that there was some kind of a um, a price, for lack of a better term, that had to be paid. Uh, Paul calls it a ransom. But in essence, that basically was the Lord being asked, what is most important to you? I mean, there is evil in the world, there's sin in the world. How do we get rid of these things? Uh, how do we overcome these things? Um, some kind of a demand was was placed on him. And of course, his answer to all that was not to sacrifice um, his child or any of his children, or whatever was most important to him, of course, the thing that he chose to sacrifice was himself. And so this is, of course, the whole the whole basis of basis of the message of the good news, right? Is just how much God loves us. So, you know, this theme of sacrifice and what means most to you is one that is featured very prominently in our faith and in our you know in our culture. Um, and, and in our in our religion, um, I think it's uh, it's a tremendous message. I think that you know if we underline this more and more, I think that it would solve a lot of the world's problems. To be to be perfectly frank, you know C.S. Lewis, who was a who was a great Christian writer in the early 20th century, um, he had fought in World War One. He he did radio shows in England during World War Two. Talked about just kind of the simple simplicity of the Christian message. He said, you know, I think that. People don't need to be taught new things. I think that people need to be reminded of things. Mm -hmm. So we may hear this message of sacrifice all the time and how much the Lord loves us and what he sacrificed um, and, you know, what was most dear to him as a result of this. But that can always be reaffirmed in our lives. You know, there's times where we struggle with, you know, doubt or or maybe depression or loneliness or thinking like nobody's with us. Right. And the reality is that someone is with us and is always with us and has made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And we should always remember this. I also, I, my wife and I were talking 
uh, the other night, and we've always had this notion too that if you've noticed, I know this is very you know much in in the Orthodox uh, mindset, whether it also be the ethnicity of the Greeks, but I know this among other ethnicities that like if you if you were born after a grandparent had passed. Uh, I know my parents always made me feel like I knew that grandparent by talking about them, by exploring their history, and and I never knew my mother's father, but I feel like I know him very well from the sacrifices he did for the family, that uh, he put his faith before everything else uh, to to keep the family intact and, you know, was fleeing the Turks. So, you know, that was his ultimate sacrifice, that he gave up his, um, his property, his land, his wealth for protecting his belief and his faith. And, you know, to me that, from a child, has left a great impression on me. And even though I've never known him in the physical world, I feel I've known him beyond that. And we will connect one day together. And I think, you know, once you have a child, it's almost like you can't think of them before them not being here. They've, it feels like they've always been here. It just We've just caught up to each other. Uh, I always think that's, a, it gives me a little chuckle to think, I think that's, you know, the, the, um, the little signs that sometimes miracles are not so bombastic, but they're very simplistic in nature. Great point, Chris. I think that you got to uh, come out to Castro Valley and give the sermon sometime. <laughs> uh, well, uh, if you're up there with me, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need any help, man. You can you can do it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, excellent point, and I and I, I love that. I think that um, for a lot of Greek families, there's lots of stories like that of you know sacrificing and um, making those kinds of choices that are very very hard you know when when times were less were, were less easy than we have them today um so it's something great to think about and of course it's not just you know the greeks it's it's uh, everybody who at some point or another has had to um, ask themselves something like that and other other races in the world that have had that too and but i digress as, and we as orthodox christians we note that the more we suffer the closer we become closer to christ than god and, you know, even though we may have metanoia or we miss the mark, we try better next time. And we keep right. trying to, to reach that idea of theosis ourselves. That might be, and that's the power that we receive, you know, in the, to bring it back to Infinity War, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Thanos was sacrificing in order to receive some kind of a power from the gem, you know, in a very fictional, fun movie kind of way. But, you know, in reality, there is something to be said about also receiving something and I think you just hit it on the head you know when you say that when we sacrifice um, we do move closer to the divine as well and there's also the aspect if we go back to the beginning of the movie with Thor and Loki or Loki you see him giving his life to save his brother which he is the god of mischief the god of illusion we didn't you know you know we assume that he is he is now possibly gone but um, I think if it is true, then yes, he he saw his brother at the moment of uh, death and said, no, stop. And then he took it upon himself to take the brunt of that. And that is unlike that character, more the Judas character, so to speak. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's interesting the, um, the 
kind of uh, morality plays throughout this whole uh, movie, uh, from Doctor Strange to Tony Stark to, you know, you, you, you had a lot of feelings towards different characters, uh, Star-Lord towards Gamora. I mean, you know, there was, there was a lot of um, uh, loss all around, you know, and, now, and how do we deal with that? Yeah, excellent. I mean, all the relationships were definitely ratcheted up in this. So um, I guess um, we can safely say, go see the movie. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's one I know I had to see maybe two or three more times because we were in our first showing. I mean, I went with the family, but the speakers weren't all that great. So a couple of the comical lines I missed where Dean was talking to me, asking a question. So, you, you know, you always pick up those things in a second. But, you know, it might be one of those things you go by yourself at a matinee and just sit in the theater by yourself and soak it all in. And uh, I've done that. You know? <laughs> you know, if I were a movie critic, I'd be doing the same. But, uh, yeah, a very enjoyable movie. And uh, they, they know what they're doing over at Marvel uh, Studios. I said... They need to send some of the writers over to the Star Wars team to maybe gel that a little bit better. Uh, and just, just, you know, we'll see what happens as, as those movies come along. But uh, I'm enjoying the Marvel movies the most. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Yep. So I think now we are going to head into our trivia portion of the show. And uh, today we're going to f actually be asking trivia questions on the same topic. And again, we come back to Philadelphia, and today we're going to be asking questions about Rocky and Rocky Balboa and the Rocky movies. So I'm going to let Father take the first question. So we're going to throw three questions, we're assuming three questions, back and forth to each other, and let's see if we get get these right. Okay, excellent. So... Uh, Christo, I'm a little jealous of you, man. Um, not just because uh, you're an awesome guy, uh, <laughs> but uh, you, you, you're, where you live is in close proximity to where one of my favorite movies of all time was filmed, and that's Rocky, um, and all the Rocky movies. So, great stuff. It, it was a low-hanging fruit for anyone I'm doing a show with from Philadelphia. So, here we go. So, um, I'm going to focus just today. Maybe we can do subsequent Rocky sequels uh, in, in future in future episodes. But for today, I'm just going to focus on the very first Rocky movie, which according to purists is the only Rocky movie, but I wouldn't go that far. Even so, so here's my first question to you. Um, Apollo Creed, of course, was Rocky's first opponent at the end of Rocky 1, but the movie begins with him fighting somebody else. Who is his very first opponent that we ever see? I want to say Rico. Was his name Rico? Very good. Spider yeah. Rico. Spider, Spider Rico. Rico. Okay. Yeah, I knew it was a Rico. I couldn't remember the full name. Very impressive. Okay. Very impressive. I lo I lobbed you an easy one there. Okay. No, I'm just joking. That was, that was good. Okay. Do you want to do the second or we'll bang back and forth one and one? Let's go back and forth. Let's okay. do back and forth. Okay. My first question will be uh, in the original Rocky movie, um, you see a young bunch of young men around a fire uh, singing, and um, he's actually this actor is not only in the first Rocky, but the second Rocky as well. When he's walking by with 
Talia Shire, they just got married, he's carrying her in his arms, and they sing a wedding song, but who is the actor that plays the lead singer of the group Around the Fire? I don't know what this guy's doing nowadays, but I'd be very curious, because he was a good singer, and he also happens to be Sylvester Stallone's brother, yes. Frank Stallone. Frank Stallone. Very in fact, good. there was actually... There was an SNL sketch with Sylvester Stallone, I want to say like in the 2000s or something, maybe whenever they were making Rocky Balboa, and uh, Stallone was pretending to be some Italian-American dad talking to his wife, and uh, he's like, hey, sweetie, I'm going to take you to go see Frank, and she's like, oh my gosh, Sinatra, I love Sinatra. He's like, no, Stallone, he's just as good. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, he's a good guy, good singer. So All yeah, right. Frank Stallone, Frank Stallone. All right, number two, you, your, your show. Here we go. There you go. Okay, so... Rocky in 1976 um, did very well at the box office, but it also did well at the Oscars. Um, it was nominated for a bunch, but why don't you tell me, if you can, two Oscars that Rocky, the first Rocky, won? I believe Best Picture and Best Actor, right? It did win Best Picture. Um, it did not win Best Actor. Oh, um, okay. But, you know, but, the other but one I was going to say was Best Original Screenplay, but maybe. It did win Best Original okay. Screenplay. So, so Sylvester Stallone, whenever you see him brought up in, in pictures where it's, I mean, in, uh, in movie trailers where it says Academy Award winner Sylvester Stallone, he actually won that for the screenplay, not for his acting. He okay. was nominated for Best Actor, though. Yeah, I remember he was nominated, but I wasn't sure for which one won other than Best Picture. That, that's good yeah. enough. No, I know that. Okay, um, my second question, let's go, okay, um, in the first uh, Rocky movie, uh, we see him walking down the street, and there's a bunch of punky kids in the gang, and there's a young girl with them, and he's like telling the girl, don't hang out with these guys, and he walks her home, and she actually subsequently appears in um, Rocky V, like a cameo, and then again in Rocky Balboa. And this time she has a teen son, and he tries to befriend her as an, an older woman and starts working in the restaurant he has in the movie. Uh, what is the character's name of this, this little girl that grows up to be a woman? Even as a woman, he calls her the same name, and that is Little Marie. Little Marie, exactly. I think Rocky Balboa was kind of underrated. I mean, I didn't think it was perfect, but I liked Rocky no, Balboa. I liked it a lot. I, liked I love how he has a restaurant, and it's called Adrian's after she's yeah. passed away. You know, I yeah. just think it's good stuff. And I'm, if I'm correct in my um, timeline, in my head, is that the one where he has this, the talk with his son out on the street where life right. knocks you down? I mean, that's a great speech. Oh, life great knocks speech. you down, you keep getting back up. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that. I, I thought that was the best part of that. Um, Excellent. Okay, your, your turn. All right, here we go. So last question I have for you, Chris, is... Um, Talia Shire, of course, famously played Adrian in the first five Rocky movies. She was also a part of what other famous film franchise about Italian-Americans? Uh, that's easy. The Godfather. <laughs> Being that she's okay, that, that Francis Ford Coppola's sister helps a little bit. <laughs> is she really? I never oh, didn't know that. See, now that was a trivia question. Yes, that's there his younger sister. How about that? Yeah. So there. That she, was, I, I forget. Know, I, I forget her name in the in the Godfather movies, but I remember her having a small part in all in all three of them. I think. Yeah, I forget her name too. To be honest, it's been a while since I got to rewatch all of them. I the first too. two. I think the first two are very. Well oh done. yeah, yeah. Thankfully, this isn't Godfather trivia. It's Rocky trivia, so yeah. we're safe. We <laughs> don't know that one. Exactly. 
All right, this is uh, my last question for Father. Um, in fact, a movie came out recently about this character that they really think the movie Rocky and his, you know, Stallone based Rocky off this fighter's life. Um, the movie had one name, the, the, the fighter's first name, and uh, Liv Schreiber played the role of, of this boxer and shows you how he uh, had very parallel uh, life to the character of Rocky Balboa. And in the movie, it shows that Stallone was inspired by him. And I mean, he almost had a cameo in Rocky III. Um, so, oh, there's a Rocky II. Might have been Rocky. No, it was Rocky III. Yes. So, I'm asking you the name of this boxer. That wow. And I just, I just read this. I just read this. I know he fought with Muhammad Ali. Yeah, was the fight that inspired Stallone because, like, Ali was. Uh, it's funny because I don't like. I don't even like boxing in real life. I don't like watching any sports that doesn't have a ball. Um, but um, but but I love boxing movies. So I don't know too much about this, but I do know that in this particular fight, Ali um, was very heavily favored, and like the fight wasn't expected to go more than three rounds, but it went the whole fifteen rounds. And I think Ali eventually knocked him out, but not before the guy, you know, won a lot of favor. And and yes, I heard that Stallone was very inspired by this guy, and 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 even choreographed a lot of the uh, fight with Apollo Creed after this fight. Unfortunately, I don't know what the name of this boxer okay. was. I give up. His name is other... Charles Weppner, and his he went by Chuck. And the name of the movie is Chuck, and played by Liev Schreiber, who also played Sabretooth in the X Men. Right, right. Yeah. So this this calls to mind Rocky Four, where he's where he's where he's wondering if he should throw in the towel when Apollo's getting beat in the ring. That was me throwing in the towel right now. <laughs> Not as bad. I mean, your face. No, no, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yep. Well, it's, that's pretty good, good stuff, though. man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you learned Talia Shire is Francis Ford Coppola's younger sister too. So <laughs> there you go. There you, there you go. go. Okay, so, well, that's it for uh, episode three of uh, Creative Blessings with Father Nico Becris uh, and Chris Katsakis. we wrapping it up for another session, and when we uh, see you next time, we might be talking a little more about Avengers and maybe Black Panther and some other, other Marvel Cinematic movies where we may hop into the DC Universe or some independence. Who knows? Who knows what's up next? You know, if, if you're listening and you want to make some comments on uh, CosmosPhilly.com where we're posting this, and we'll, you'll be able to uh, download from SoundCloud and iTunes uh, or Christ Coffee and Comics, Father's Blog, make some suggestions. We'll look at them and, and take it into account. Maybe, uh, you know, bring it into the podcast. And we're looking to bring on some guests, too. So uh, we're looking forward to that. So thank you again, Father. And... Uh, have a great day, and uh, uh, we're heading into Pentecost, so uh, a great uh, season be held uh, before, uh, you know, before and now after. Absolutely, and you know, one things that we, one of the things I feel uh, bad about, we should have started with this by saying, is Christos Anesti, uh, Christ is risen. Anesti. Indeed. <laughs> Thank you again, Chris. This was great. Thank you, Father. <laughs>